Hey, Bankless Nation, it is the fourth week of August. David, what time is it? It is roll-up time. Time to roll up the entire week of news in crypto, which is always an ambitious endeavor. And it's always, for me, the most fun piece of content that we produce here out of the Bankless world. So Ryan, let's go ahead and get right into it. Yeah, you know what? I feel like we're not just rolling up the the week here. It almost feels like we're rolling up the summer a little bit, David. Mm. You know, kids are going back to school, this sort of thing. We, we're creeping into September. And it feels like we have a lot to roll up, maybe create some themes out of this summer because it didn't turn out how I thought it would, right. a little bit different. wasn't mm. necessarily DeFi summer. Layer two is kind of coming, but it's not entirely here. Mm. But oh my God, NFTs. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a major theme as we discuss it today. Yeah. Unlike the weather, when you try and predict the the future of the summer in the crypto industry, it just changes right right around you. Uh, and so what we thought was going to be DeFi summer, which, you know, still still kind of was like there's a lot of stuff going on on layer two summer. Um, but no, it was definitely like JPEG season for sure. J- JPEG summer. That's what yeah. we got. Uh, speaking of seasons, guys, we think a next season, a future season, don't know when it's going to become. It's going to be Dow season. And so it makes sense to start getting involved in all the DAOs you can, as many as are interesting and exciting. One of which are friends at TracerDAO. They are launching a new Perpetuals product, which is super cool. It's going to be a new Money Lego primitive. They're deploying that on layer two, as well as layer one, I believe. Uh, And they're looking for contributors. They're looking for governors. They're looking for DAO members. If you think you can fill that role, if you want to experiment in a DAO, try your first DAO, maybe you're a DAO master, and you want to uh, join another, then go ahead and do that. There will be a link to the Tracer Doubt Discord in the show notes. You can check that out. All right, David, you ready to get into markets? Let's do it. Market time. Bitcoin, what are we doing? All right, Bitcoin started the week at the uh, low, low price of $48,000, going up to the highs of right above $50,000. So Bitcoin breached $50,000 this week, hit the high of $50,400, and it's been down ever since then. So we are coming in right around the $47,000 mark at the time of recording. Oh, crabbing, crabbing around this week, but like you zoom out, are new we highs, breaking new highs are fantastic. New highs are fantastic. Uh, Bitcoin, yeah, that, even, even though it didn't hold it, like getting up above fifty thousand is is really really nice. The the lows keep on creeping up. On August fourth, it was a low of thirty eight thousand. On August roughly like nineteenth, it was a low of forty four thousand, and we are currently uh, maybe at a new high of a low at forty seven thousand. If this is as low as Bitcoin goes in the in like the the local seven day time period, like that's really strong. That's really strong. Yeah, looking pretty good on the month for sure. Okay, how about ETH? What's the story here? Ether week? started at three thousand fifty dollars, which is also the low for the week. We climbed up to the high of thirty three uh, thirty three hundred and fifty dollars for the high, uh, and then we are currently back down just above three thousand one hundred dollars. Uh, and so again, a, a decently good week for Ether. Um, but again, we we I mean, no, it, it's a, it was a good week. But uh, I did like that three thousand three hundred number, and I wanted to be back there. Yeah, I wanted to be back there. You know what? I just feel like ETH deserves to be back there post EIP fifteen five nine. But mm-hmm. when you start to talk about deserving, maybe you shouldn't talk that way, right? right? Like right. we are not entitled to any of the gains that we receive in crypto. Let that be a lesson to mm-hmm. everyone who subscribes to uh, bankless content. Um, okay, let's talk about this though. ETH Bitcoin. What are we doing on the ratio here? Yeah, we've been bleeding a little bit for the past like seven days or so. But again, a really high uh, threshold currently at 0.066 Ether Bitcoin ratio. Not too much to talk about, just kind of still in that ranging in that high plateau area. 
maybe a little bit on the higher side, maybe higher middle. Um, I don't know. 0 0.066 is still a really strong number. This is starting to look like the conclusion of the summer, David, and it always brings me to the question of uh, what will fall bring? What will mm -hmm. the next season bring in crypto? And I'm curious if we're just hanging here and then getting ready to launch up or uh, whether we get some more crab or... <laughs> Or down. I guess those are all the options. <laughs> that, it's got to be one of those. Available. <laughs> we, we promise you it will be one of those three options. All right, let's talk about um, total value locked in DeFi. Man, I'm hoping any mm -hmm. any day now we're going to be reporting out that we hit that 100 billion mark, but we're not there yet. 82 billion. Any more thoughts on this, David? Yeah, 8 billion away from breaking a new all-time high in total value locked in DeFi. I believe we were at 80 billion last uh, last week, uh, weekly roll-up, and we are at 82 billion right now. Aave continues to dominate uh, at the top number one total value uh, total value locked in Aave. Uh, and yeah, I, I think all it really takes is like, man, man if Ether can break $3,300 and uh, some of the assets that are in DeFi all appreciate a little bit, like it'll absolutely break through the, the all-time high of 90 billion locked in DeFi. You know, someone's talking uh, on, on Twitter to me, David, I'm wondering you, your uh, thoughts on this. So the fact that ETH has been so strong lately, and this was a, a tweet I mentioned about all the ETH we're burning. Um, he, he asked the question, is that bad for DPI? Is that bad for DeFi tokens to have a very strong ETH with supply shrinking? Um, I, I'll give you my thoughts, but I'm curious to hear yours first. Do you think that a strong ETH is bad for DeFi tokens? Uh, in dollar terms, absolutely not. In Ether terms, perhaps. Yeah, like I I think Ether is going to be a really, really hard asset to outperform. Like it's ultrasound money. How are you supposed to compete with that? Uh, <laughs> and so DeFi tokens for ETH is like, a, it's going to be a massive tug of war. I kind of view these things as kind of like a binary star system is like, you know, they're kind of rotating around each other. One benefits the other, which benefits the other. Um, but even when binary star systems, there's usually one star that's bigger than the other. And like the compelling case behind Ether is that it's a really, really big gravitational black hole of a bunch of value. Yeah, you definitely want to have both. You definitely mm -hmm. want to have all three if you can. Yeah. We'll get to the bed index in a minute, but mm -hmm. let's talk about DPI. That is the DeFi pulse index. So where are we, where are we, at for uh, tokens on the week, DeFi tokens, that is. A little bit down on the week, still overall a very strong monthly performance, but we started uh, DPI at roughly around $400 to start the week, and we have fallen down to $370 per DPI token, which is roughly about the low for the week. So a little bit down on the week for DPI. Let's check our seasons. Are we in mm -hmm. DeFi season? Mm -hmm. No, no. <laughs> we're not, David. Uh, are we below point? One three. We are below point yes, one three. We are at point one two. But again, the bottom is strong. The bottom you know is what? strong. If your prediction was point one two instead of one three, mm -hmm. I mean, you're holding you're holding pretty close to that, right? right? Yeah. You know, horseshoes and hand grenades, right? Okay, so it's NFT season. It's not yet DeFi season, and are we awaiting the return of DeFi? Is now a time to go? check out these uh, interesting DeFi token gems? What do you think? I mean, we're always waiting for DeFi season, right? Like it's always right around the corner. Uh, <laughs> as soon as <laughs> NFTs can shut the hell up, we can <laughs> we can have a DeFi season maybe. Um, but like, like I've been saying, like the, the bottom on DPI ETH is, the bottom that it's painting is like really, really strong. It's hit that point one, two level over and over and over again. Like granted, it could just break through and fall, fall even more. Everything, anything is possible. It could go up, flat, or down. We all know this. Um, but like, like we've been saying, NFTs are really, really loud, and generally, that's been kind of the time to allocate into really, really quiet things.
Um, that's kind of like a nice rule of thumb. You know, every rule of thumb has like an equal and opposite like counterpoint to make. But, you know, if generally buying things when things are quiet has like worked out. Yeah, agreed. Especially if you are buying and holding. Let's talk about the uh, bed index. That's another index that we track. This is a combination one third Bitcoin, one third ETH. And one third DPI all put together. What are we looking at on the week? Yeah, uh, deep. Uh, excuse me. Bed started at the week of around one hundred and forty dollars. Hit the high of one hundred and sixty-two dollars, and is currently at one hundred and forty-five dollars. Ryan, can you hit the three month on on the bed, dude? It has ever since inception. Bed has just performed beautifully. It, has, it hasn't had like a down, maybe it's had like a down week here or there, but like, no, the whole entire thing is, is a straight line up and to the right on the, on the three month chart, which I think is really longer than the bed has even existed. So like, it's really the maximum chart ever since bed launch up 54%. Again, bed index, yeah. bed, best crypto index of all time. It's going to be interesting to see this one perform over time. I'm excited about it. Um, all right, let's talk about a big story, which is look, dude. Mm-hmm. Over 100,000 ETH is now burnt. We just mm-hmm. passed that milestone. 100,000, 20 days. It's by the time people are listening, it's 21 days from launch. Over 100,000 ETH burnt. That's um, what, what are some of the numbers here, David, in, in terms of per day, per minute? Seven ETH per day? Is that what that equals? Yeah. So um, uh, uh, go ahead and scroll down and go no, to that, that fee burn. And then, okay. So we see the all time ever since EIP 1559 got launched, we've had an average of 3.3 ETH burned per minute. But if you go and, and uh, per, turn those those metrics more recently, like I think yesterday, the 24 hour level had like nine ETH being burnt per minute. Uh, today, it's 6.2 ETH being burned per minute. So especially in the last week, we have seen very, very ultrasound ether. Uh, Ryan, go to that burn leaderboard and hit all. And you can actually see how much of this is actually NFT activity because of the 100,000 ether that's got burnt, the biggest burner is OpenSea. NFTs are crushing it. 15, 000, or 15 million ether. So NFTs just on OpenSea, not including the other NFT platforms, is 15% of all ether burn, which means 15% of all economic activity flowing through Ethereum is OpenSea and buying and selling NFTs, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, that burn rate. I think I said earlier that burn rate is seven ETH per day. Of course, that's wrong. I meant uh, ETH per minute. Right. Um, but this OpenSea activity is absolutely crazy, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, um, why are people spending this much on OpenSea? I did a little, like, I, I haven't done much with NFTs. You know this, David. Yeah, I definitely but, know this. Uh, I, I, I did a little bit this week. And I was like blown away by the gas fees. Mm-hmm. Not, I've seen high gas fees in ETH. And ETH before, of course, Ethereum, no stranger to that. But like to buy an OpenSea NFT, $130 worth of gas right. for something that's, yeah. I don't know, some of these, some of these are trading under a hundred. Like right. you're not going to pay that. Right. I can't believe people are paying this much for NFTs on OpenSea. Well, the ERC-721 contract, which is the NFT like token contract, is much more gas intensive than a simple ERC-20 transfer. So it automatically gets the complexity premium associated with it as well. Plus um there's like royals he's involved with OpenSea, and so like you know there's some and so there's contract uh, information with that um and overall it's, uh, nf uh, 721s are just overall more computationally intensive so they come with a higher gas premium um but like the, the reason why people are paying these gas prices is because like they think that their hundred dollar gas transaction will net them more than a hundred dollars worth of profit when they flip their nft if they're flipping their nft or they just want to buy and hold the NFT and the, the, it's worth $100 to them. So people are just baking yeah. in the gas prices into the into the valuation of the NFT when they buy it. 
It's a lot of NFTs though, hanging out on mainnet, not so many yeah. on layer two or side chains. Right. It's going to be interesting to see. Um, yeah. So we did hit a new burn record. I think you mentioned some of those metrics. Um, EIP 1559 mm -hmm. dominates the transactions. Now we're at 50%. So that means 50% of all Ethereum transactions are now EIP 1559 transactions, not the legacy transactions. That's moved up a lot since last time we talked about it. I think last time it was like hovering around 20, 30% or so. Now we're up to 50. This is going to go all the way to like 80, 90%, oh, yeah. 100% It's going, it's, it's approaching 100% with, with certainty. And ju just for there's no, con no confusion, every single transaction ultimately becomes an EIP 15559 transaction. There's a legacy transaction that like you're allowed to use and still is compatible, but like it's less optimal as in you might accidentally be overpaying uh, versus the base fee. Uh, and so this is really on the wallet providers, um, people like MetaMask, MetaMask EIP 1559 support rolled out. Uh, and so it's really just allowing the users to uh, optimally express their Save some intent. money, right? Save some money, right. Yeah. Um, but literally everything, everything ultimately becomes an EIP 1559 transaction at the end of the day. It all burns ETH. Okay, let's talk more about some of that OpenSea volume, David, so mm -hmm. that folks can see the uh, the axis of this chart here. But that axis on the left is 200 million at the top. Look, man, this is OpenSea volume. Um, I Earlier in the week, there was celebration of three days, over $100 million in volume. Those are mm -hmm. days, 100 million per day. I'm looking at this, and I'm seeing days over 200 million mm -hmm. in volume now on mm -hmm. OpenSea absolutely insane daily usd volume on OpenSea. crazy man and all of this is denominated in eth as well right. which is also staggering right like you can actually sell your nfts for usdc on OpenSea, but no one actually does it which is crazy yeah um yeah the the biggest three days one is like 160 million per day 193 million per day and then the highest one is 208 million per day so three really strong days in a row and and the fourth day today isn't even over yet um and it's, to me, it just kind of feels like when Uniswap finally experienced like DeFi summer in 2020, like Uniswap hadn't really experienced a bull market before then. And Blasted up. NFT platforms also have are yet to experience bull markets, except for the one that's going on right now. And so we really see OpenSea really dominating in the volume on NFTs. OpenSea is so like, kind of like the Uniswap of, of NFTs, except for the fact there's a very, very big difference on OpenSea centralized, blah, blah, blah. But like as like market share and mind app. share, it's a killer app. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a killer app of NFTs now. And it, th this might be $100 million days might be the new normal for OpenSea. Mm. Uh, I think it's really interesting when you start comparing OpenSea to like the uh, traditional Web2 companies we might be familiar with or Web1. This is Eric uh, Connor saying OpenSea is at 70% of eBay's volume now. 70% of eBay mm. in terms of transaction volume. Uh, he makes a kind of a quip here. I'm sure this is all just money laundering and wash trading though. It's nothing. <laughs> DC's comment below it. Still, yeah. DC's comment below it are so funny. He goes, "Shit, that reminds me, I forgot to move my JPEGs to the dryer." <laughs> <laughs> right. Wait, is that a, is that a thing? Are are people talking about NFTs and money laundering as a, like a way to explain this? I haven't seen that narrative. Yeah, I've heard murmurings about this. I haven't actually seen any evidence for this, but like in theory, it's like super possible, right? So like you own an NFT you like you p2p sell it to another wallet and then you sell it to that wallet turns out that wallet is also your wallet but only you know that uh and so you can kind of like get rid of your nft and put ether in a different i don't i don't know i don't whenever know. i've seen this comment though david it always seems like just a little bit of salt somebody's just angry yeah. about nfts because yeah. maybe they're angry about ethereum because right. just maybe they're an angry individual i don't see any 
evidence of money laundering substantiation and that sort of thing going on. I mean, the critics will say like, yeah, that's the point, right? Like no one can, it's completely deniable and completely unprovable. So maybe this actually does turn into a broader conversation. Um, But like until, until like something, somebody like Chainalysis comes in and says like with definitive, because they're, they're they're the only ones who can really actually have the data enough to actually prove this out. You know what it goes back to though? It's Mm. still going to be easier to money launder through traditional art. Probably. Just like it's easier to money right. launder through like right. um, briefcases full of right. actual cash. Uh-huh. Anything that's digital is just inherently a 10x easier to track. Doesn't matter what chain you're using. Oh, Ryan, have you been reading the essay that's coming out on Bankless on Wednesday? I talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Uh, NFTs, no, NFTs are all serialized, right? Like every single right. NFT is unique and traceable on Ethereum. Uh, the painting that I have in my bedroom that you can't see, you don't know what that's like. It's not registered with the nation state. It's not deployed no, on Ethereum. Idea. You have no idea. I don't even what, know what the picture is. Yeah, right. Like, uh, is it is it fifty dollars or fifty million? You have no idea because, <laughs> and it, like, neither does the United States government. It's not fifty million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was wondering, but <laughs> it might be though. We don't it might be. It might be. it might be. It might be. I value <laughs> so it that high. <laughs> there you go. Okay, so this is another look compared to Web two uh, companies. OpenSea is about to break into the top one thousand list of websites in the known universe. This is like an Alexa ranking, mm-hmm. which ranks the most popular websites. So OpenSea, the top 1,000, just a little bit behind. Wow, look at these though, David. Mm-hmm. These are some other um, right. crypto native websites. Etherscan is already broke the top 1,000, 788. Coinbase is 764. Binance is 155. Wow, wow. This is crypto just bursting into mainstream. This is mm-hmm. what this looks like. And I think we'll we'll get to the top 100 for a number of these before long. Okay, look, look at these numbers. He finishes up saying, gotta catch eBay at number 39 and Etsy at number 70, right? So like think of the, how massive eBay and Etsy are from like a traffic perspective. Uh, and we're already almost, at, we're, like Eric Connor said, we're at 70% of eBay's volume. And this, again, we, we were talking about this on the last weekly roll-up. This just goes to show like how scalable digital goods are because you don't have to ship anything. They're not physical. Yes. They're not actually atoms. And so like one person can actually account for like 100 times more volume on OpenSea than they ever would on eBay or Etsy. Uh, and so there's, totally. there's, and so like we expect digital volume uh, of digital goods to completely dwarf physical goods just because it's, they're unencumbered, right? Uh, and so like, it's cool to see the volume flip, but also it's also would be cool to actually see like the users flip as well. Yeah. I mean, how much more revenue per customer are you driving is another way to look at this. Like, I feel like web two's metrics primarily are about like daily active user, the number of um, you know, visitors on the site and that sort of thing. And that's all important when you have an attention economy, but when you have like an economy that's all about capital coordination and capital, then you're looking at other things. You're looking at things denominated in like assets under management, trading volume, the amount of revenue that's flowing through. These become more important metrics when we're looking at like Web3 and, and crypto. Look, if OpenSea is at just a, an, almost at what, spot 1000 in the top websites and it's basically almost on par with uh, eBay volume, imagine what happens if like OpenSea turns into like something closer to like where eBay is on the websites at number 39. Like how much volume do you think OpenSea is going to be doing then? This is the bookcase. This is why it's easy to say NFTs are in a mania, but then you also say, but like, are right. they? But like, because, what about the future? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Um, my neighbors aren't talking about NFTs yet. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I'm not having casual conversations with anybody. So it's, what's the top signal, David? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We'll have to see. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's talk about this. 
tornado cash. This is another, I think, good indicator of um, market health. There's over 218,000 Ether locked inside of tornado cash. I think this means Ethereum's value privacy. Mm -hmm. Tornado Cash, of course, listeners are unfamiliar. This is a privacy protocol on top of Ethereum. So you push money in, um, it kind of jumbles it, mixes it around, and uh, individuals don't know what your address is coming out of it. So um, this is great if you value privacy on chain. I think a lot of people do this. They don't want to dox themselves uh, and their address by shuffling funds through an exchange. But then of course the, the exchange knows your identity, AML, KYC. This is a way to do this purely on chain. Uh, and I think is a sign of good things. Super cypherpunk application and just, uh, you know, really instantiating the rights of the individual inside of Ethereum, right? You have the right to have private funds. Uh, right now it's Ether only. Um, but when the reason, the rationale behind why Ether inside of Tornado Cash, when that number goes up, that means like more and more people can ch and can access more and more privacy. The more ether in Tornado Cash, the more privacy uh, that you are able to to achieve. Think of think of yourself as like a, a little uh, fish inside of a bigger school of fish. If that school of fish is massive, you're even more safe, right? You're more safe from the sharks. Uh, and so like the the ability for individuals to access privacy tools is going up, which is the through line here. Yeah, I've always wondered what the what a potential authoritarian aggressive nation state's reaction to something like this is, because mm -hmm. there's been talk before about Other than confusion. <laughs> well, exactly. Well, they'll be confused at first, but there also could be there. I mean, there has been talk about um, making us uh, privacy coins illegal, like something like a Zcash or a Monero. Yeah. But what's interesting about this is like this is an app inside yep. of Ethereum, yep. so like. You don't want to make all of Ethereum right. illegal, do you, in your jurisdiction? Mm -hmm. nope. So do you make this particular privacy app illegal? And what are the implications of that? And you know, is there a world, David, in a in a future dystopia where you have exchanges that are not allowed to interact with any ETH address that has interacted with Tornado Cash? I don't know. But right. if that's the case, we still have an entire decentralized banking economy. We don't have to use those exchanges. We can start trading on Uniswap and doing this sort of thing. So um, I'm not sure where this is all going to evolve, but I love where Ethereum is uh, positioned in that it has these cypherpunk tools available to yeah. an individual who's trying to become self-sovereign. Mm. There's, I mean, there's, there's definitely ways where like authoritarian or top-down controlling nation states can like get what they want because like if you have a docs address and you want to use Tornado Cash to become private, you are free to use it, but everyone can see your funds going into Tornado Cash. They just don't know where they're going out from. But like if you are like getting in trouble with your country because you forgot to pay your taxes, always pay your taxes so you don't have to deal with this. But like they say, oh, like you sent a hundred ether into Tornado Cash. Like where'd that go? And you don't get to be like, well, I don't know. I don't know where it went. Like, that's not going to work. That's not going to yeah, work. Exactly. Exactly. Um, all right. Let's talk about this too. This is another good number indicator for Ethereum. Over 1 million ETH now staked in Lido Finance. Huge. Huge for mm -hmm. Lido. Uh, a number of other staking things haven't launched yet. Uh, we're waiting for Rocket Pool quite anxiously, but um, Lido has just been Don't crushing it, it recently. It. And this is the closest thing. If you're looking for a staking provider, the best thing you could do is run your own validator at your house, stake ETH that way. But um, if you're not going to do that and you're looking at staking service companies, 
aside from Rocket Pool, which is probably maximally decentralized, Lido is probably second. And your only other option is some kind of a, a centralized exchange or centralized staking service provider. So it's good to see. I think it's good to see. Yeah. And Lido's strategy has always been like go to market first, decentralization later. And they have very like very concrete paths towards the whole decentralization thing. Um, but they the their strategy has been like, well, if no one goes to market as soon as possible on like with with a decentralization ethos, then the staking as a service centralized exchanges are just going to take up all the all the market share, right? And so they the, their strategy has always it. been like market share first, decentralization later. Um, and I mean the strategy has generally worked out for them. Uh, they have a million ether locked in the in, inside of Lido. Um, uh, now the path is can they actually decentralize? Fun fact: I'm actually yeah. uh, LPing uh, staked ether from Lido with ether. Um, normal ether inside a balancer, earning a cool eight percent APY in ether denominated terms, and also earning LDO LDO rewards. Uh, so that's what I'm doing. That's cool. Did you buy that staked ether, David? If you don't mind me asking. Uh, no, I, is that I, a result of actually staking it? I, result of actually staking it. I actually sent ether, and so like some of this one million ether is mine. Mm -hmm. Some of it. Maybe uh, 900,000 or so. Um, right, yeah, like give or take. A little bit more. Yeah, give or take. You know, with that $50 million do <laughs> uh, paid thing in your bedroom. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, guys, we will be back with the hot releases of the week. Of course, some news and our takes. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. When you shop for plane tickets, you probably use Kayak, Expedia, or Google to compare ticket prices. So why would you limit yourself to just one exchange when you trade crypto? When you make your trades, you want to make sure that you are getting the best possible price on your trade and that you aren't paying high gas costs that you could have otherwise avoided. That's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha routes your orders across all the various DeFi exchanges on Ethereum, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, and gives you the best possible prices without taking any commission. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your order across multiple liquidity sources if Matcha sees that it gets you better pricing. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pulls the liquidity for me into a single easy to use platform and that has even saved me multiple times from accidentally picking the wrong decks to trade on and accidentally getting a bad price. Matcha also allows for you to make limit orders on chain so you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. New to Matcha is an integrated fiat on-ramp so you can purchase crypto directly with your you can purchase crypto directly with your credit or debit card and have that fiat be instantly traded for any token that has liquidity. When you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz slash bankless and connect your wallet to start getting the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. Living a bankless life requires taking control of your own private keys. Not your keys, not your crypto. That's why so many in the bankless nation already have their ledger hardware wallets, which makes proper private key management a breeze. But the Ledger ecosystem is more than just a secure hardware wallet. Ledger is the combination of the Ledger hardware wallet and the Ledger Live app. And if you're used to seeing all of your crypto services and favorite dApps all in one place, Ledger is where you want to be. Not only does Ledger let you buy crypto assets straight from the app, but it also hooks into decentralized exchange aggregators like Paraswap, which makes sure that you are getting the best prices on your trades without your assets ever leaving your control. DeFi never stops growing and the Ledger Live app grows alongside with it. So click the link in the show notes to see all the DeFi apps that Ledger Live has and stay tuned as more and more apps come online. And if you don't have a Ledger hardware wallet, what are you even waiting for? Go to ledger.com, grab your Ledger, download Ledger Live and get all of your DApps all in one place. 
All right, guys, we are back with the news of the week. The first is this, Euler announced. This is different. If you've heard of Euler Beats, this is Euler, which is a, um, a lending protocol, sort of a Uniswap for lending is kind of the original idea. This has been a long time in progress. What's the TLDR on this one? Yeah, this is supposed to be a governance minimized lending platform, uh, which is why Ryan just compared it to Uniswap, but it's uh, functions a little bit more like Aave or Compound, right? Borrowing and lending, money markets in between, uh, determined by algorithms, uh, but with uh, fewer governance controls. Uh, and so we we on the Bankless Nation, like the protocol sync thesis, uh, the less governance and the less powers that humans have over these things, the more uh, systemically scalable they are, the more trustless they are. Uh, and so this is an experimentation on governance minimized lending platforms. Um, disclaimer, Ryan and I are seed investors in Euler with Paradigm. There you go. Okay, let's talk about... Um... Lyra on optimism. So I think we've mentioned Lyra a few times, mm -hmm. which is basically a, um, a derivatives exchange that wouldn't really be possible on the Ethereum base layer. Well, it is possible in layer two. They just deployed on optimism. I haven't tried this out yet, but super exciting to see. Any other thoughts here? Yeah, this is. I've never really been an options guy. I've kind of never really wrapped my head around them. Always kind of just been a, a spot market individual, but options with Ethereum, with Ether, sounds really, really interesting. Maybe I finally dive into uh, options on, on layer two. Uh, if anyone knows uh, a really good like tactic or is interested in writing one, hit us up. Absolutely. I think we'll publish something with Lyra here soon, for sure. Um, this is cool from mm. Justin Drake in the category of releases, kind of releases, breakthroughs, maybe. That's a new category. MEB <laughs> research, research breakthrough. breakthroughs. <laughs> okay. When Justin Drake says research break, there's Lots of people talk about research breakthroughs all mm -hmm. of the time in crypto, right? But when Justin Drake says it, I got to take notice. Mm -hmm. Have you read about this? What's going on? Uh, I have not read about this, but I actually was able to talk to Justin Drake. He mentioned this in the um, Layer Zero podcast episode I was recording with him. And he was like, wait, when is this coming out? Can I talk about this? And I was like, it's not coming out for three weeks, so you can definitely talk about this. So he talks about what's going on. Uh, the Ooh. breakthrough is that... Uh, Ether is becoming even more ultra sound. Okay, so we have the base fee, right? Stop. And, and oh yeah, That's yeah, too right. Much. Uh huh. Uh -huh. Get, get ready for this. <laughs> all right, like you know, grab onto your seats. Um, the breakthrough is that like uh, Justin Drake accurately predicted that base fee would be between 60 and 70% of Ether burned. Uh, turns out that's ac actually about right. We all are, are around 70% Ether burned with that 30% uh, of tips being paid to miners. Uh, and that tip is largely MEV, right? Like minor extractable value um, or, or now really maximally extractable value. Uh, and this is uh, just the, the fighting for the rights to... Um, to have a certain transaction in a specific spot. Uh, and like, it's actually relatively significant. Like most base fee, most transactions are just like, you know, the average base fee with no tip, but a few of them are a little bit of base fee and comparatively a massive tip. Uh, and so that actually accounts for roughly 30% of all Ether uh, fees um, being paid to uh, actually validators rather than the Ethereum protocol. The breakthrough is that apparently the, this uh, guy that Justin Drake has been working with, I, I, the, his name escapes me, I haven't actually met him yet, discovered how we can burn the remaining 30% of Ether. This is the first time anyone has heard this, by the way. I'm pretty sure Bankless is the first content company, whatever, to actually talk about this. We are, okay, wait, wait, wait. We are burning uh, the other 30%? Uh, so we, with this, uh, according to what Justin Drake told me, we are able to approach a 100% burn rate of Ether for all transactions. 
because of the way that this uh, committee-driven MEV smoothing mechanism allows us to, instead of taking that tip and paying it to one validator, smoothing it across uh, a larger time frame. I need to read this article. I'm, but I'm also going to be recording with Justin Drake and the individual who like, co- sort of cracked this code. Uh, and so there's going to be a bankless YouTube video about this coming soon. But basically, yes, uh, they've found a way, a possible way to capture the remaining tip uh, and actually burn it over time, uh, I think. I think that's how this works. Um, and also that later. seems that seems to have good implica- like ramifications for MEV itself mm-hmm. in that MEV yes. becomes less of a problem Correct. on the main chain. Correct. I'm sure it's not eliminated. We can't eliminate it, but Correct. less of a problem. Yeah. Yep. Okay, that that's enough of a teaser. Now I'm right. definitely tuning in to both uh, the, the, mm-hmm. the Layer Zero episode and the Justin Drake episode coming out. So guys- Another reason to subscribe to YouTube. Right. I'm not sure if we're going to be publishing the full thing on the podcast, but subscribe to YouTube. And you'll get that Justin Drake TLDR on MEV smoothing that way. Ultrasound money becoming more ultrasound. How do you mark? even get more ultrasound than ultrasound? Like it just keeps Look, on dude, going. I got to tell you, you know, that po- the podcast, Ultrasound Money podcast we recorded with Justin, was that February, March, somewhere yeah. around that mm-hmm, time? Mm-hmm. Look, I, that's going to be completely prophetic, right. right? Like even the estimates he did in the follow up podcast. Where he was like, yeah, probably 70 to 80%, um, you know, uh, burn. Like that's been right on. On point. So right on point. if you're looking to understand the future of what's going to happen next, because this mm-hmm. is like not even the halfway mark, uh, mark, we're like a third into this ultrasound money experiment. Go listen to that episode. Like mm-hmm. we laid it down for you. Justin Drake laid it down for all of us right. in the ultrasound money episode. Now it's just, you have to be patient and wait for it to play out. The, the funny thing is when I recorded the Layer Zero podcast with with Justin, again, not out yet. It'll be out in a few weeks. Um, like we couldn't help to talk about Ethereum and like more <laughs> more like of like, you know, Ethereum and Ether stuff. And yeah. like I was just having a casual conversation with him and like the alpha just kept on coming out. All right. It's like, oh, That's my God, crazy. I haven't even thought about that. <laughs> yeah, so you got to tune into that episode, too. So good, guys. All right. Uh, Hot Protocol, what are they doing? Hot Protocol, you can now hop your assets between Ethereum and Optimism using the Hop Bridge. Uh, Hop is uh, trying to solve that seven-day withdrawal period coming out of optimistic rollups. And everyone was kind of concerned about this. No one really wants to wait seven days to get their assets back. Um, But everyone was like, oh, yeah, well, we can just make bridges and you can pay a small fee and then you can bridge instantaneously. And so this got deployed. So the problem was actually solved even before anyone was even able to complain about it. So that's pretty cool. Um, and yeah, it's it, literally, it's live. it's live. It's live right now. Uh, and the interface looks just like Uniswap. And so it's kind of exactly what you would expect. Right, so this this interface looks just like Uniswap, right? But like there's one extra, in, instead of swapping tokens, you're swapping bridges, right? Uh, and so you, instead of all, in, in addition to going from Optimism to Ethereum, you can also go from Optimism to Polygon, right? And so you select your asset, uh, and then you have your Genesis chain and then you have your destination chain and then it'll tell you how much like you have to pay in fees, right? So we, we have 420.759 USDC on Optimism and then via Hop Exchange, hop.exchange, you can go to Polygon for 420.69 USDC. Wow, nice, nice, nice joke, guys. Nice joke, guys. <laughs> okay, David, but look, you only pay seven cents to go from Optimism to Polygon, which is the point. You know what's blown my mind is this is all happening so quickly now. It used to be the case that there'd be a problem like um, it takes a long time to withdraw from a rollup. And then it'd be like, okay, research. And then months and months of work. And then maybe six months later, you get kind of a partial solution and a half works. 
now I feel like stuff is just happening right. in the DeFi ecosystem. Like boom, boom, boom. So many different teams, so much capital deployed here, so much talent deployed in this industry that we are just getting solutions to these problems. Like in in the space of like before we days. can complain about them, we can't even before make any drama about it. Yeah, like I'm no longer angry about withdrawals <laughs> now <laughs> from layer twos. I'm very happy. Uh, David, speaking yeah. of layers, tell us about layer zero. Yeah, so some guy in the bankless world is releasing a new podcast, uh, as if there aren't any in, enough already. Uh, so there's a Layer Zero podcast coming out on the bankless RSS feed. If you are a deep bankless listener, you might have noticed that come out on uh, the RSS feed this uh, Tuesday with Dimitri Buterin, the, fa the father, co-founder of Vitalik. And this is all <laughs> about a show that focuses on the people of the Ethereum community, not just the code or the tech, right? Because there are people writing the code and writing the tech, which means the, the brain behind the code has other things going on in its life that also impacts the code that it writes. And I want to find out what those other things are. Uh, as we say on the Bankless program, it's always layer zero all the way down and it always has been. And so the persons behind the code become extremely important as the code that we all use dictate how we live our lives. And so I want to explore the lives of the people in the Ethereum community. Uh, so. Like I said, yeah. uh, uh, Dimitri Buterin came out on Tuesday. Eric Connor's coming out next Tuesday. Justin Drake is coming out the Tuesday after that. And then, then I believe I got Anthony Cezano lined up as well. Uh, it's going to be a fun time. It's going to be a fun time. Plus one on, the, on this. Uh, it's just a great, it's a different format for Bankless, one that works mm -hmm. really well. So my wife like occasionally listens to our Bankless podcast, David. Like, mm -hmm. you know, here or there, she'll be interested in a guest or a topic. But like I told her, I was like, you know, I know it gets into the weeds in a lot of bankless content material, but you're going to love layer zero because it's all people and stories. So it's relatable. And she loves that kind of content. And um, yeah, it's just a different format, really unique kind of interview style and experience. Like you asked uh, the co-founder of Vitalik different questions than we would ask on a typical Ethereum uh, podcast. Like, you know, do you ever fear for Vitalik's safety? It's an interesting question. How did you meet Vitalik's mom? Right. Like really just <laughs> interesting life experience stories. Mm -hmm. Like, and uh, Dimitri talked about growing up in Russia and what that was like and how that has changed his and impacted his view on the world. So anyway, really cool stuff. Um, as always, we are, we are bringing the, I think some of the most interesting crypto content in the space to the forefront. And uh, we, we thank you guys for, uh, for listening to us every week as we as we do this as we're on this journey, uh, speaking, Ryan's also stoked. He just gets to sit back and, and listen yeah, to podcasts rather than produce I them. Did, I did no work on this, <laughs> and I just got it like popped up in my my um, RSS mm -hmm. reader, my podcast mm -hmm. uh, device, and I was just like, "Oh, this is great!" Now yeah. I can just enjoy this. All right, nice. Um, thank you. <laughs> Um, speaking, speaking of, of on that theme, <laughs> speaking of brand new content coming out of the Bankless ecosystem, we also have a brand new anchor to the uh, to the Bankless content sphere. We got Luke coming in with TLDR, which uh, we have put out like at least like 10 to 15 hours worth of content on the Bankless program. And so Luke does a fantastic job rolling it up for you uh, in a TLDR format. So this is these are like nine to like 12 minute long videos summarizing all the content that came out on Bankless. Uh, and so if you want to roll up of the roll up, uh, a, a subscribe to the YouTube and also check out Luke's brand new show TLDR. I expect really cool things to come out of this. Every Sunday. And Every you know Sunday. what? This this is great. You take a week off Bankless. It's a long time. You're on vacation, whatever. We understand, right? Well, you just catch up with this episode in 10 minutes and you got the whole week in your brain. Um, David, let's talk raises 
So Fractional, we've had them on the podcast. In fact, had Andy from Fractional on this week where we talked all about NFT mania. Go catch that episode too. But they just completed a $7.9 million raise seed funding from Paradigm. Really cool to see this team get funded. Yeah, Fractional is such a silly, silly, stupid, simple concept. I'm not saying it's stupid. I'm just saying it's so incredibly simple that like, Every smart contract dev is like hitting themselves in the forehead. It's like, oh, why didn't I think of that? All you do is you put an ERC-721 into a contract. It fractionalizes it into a bunch of ERC-20s. And then it has some contract logic to allow all of those ERC-20s to be recalled and that have that original, uh, you know, fractured NFT be composed back into one. Such a simple concept. David, I got a, a billion dollar idea. Yeah. You take ERC-721s, and we turn them back into ERC twenties. <laughs> well, no, see, that's part of fractional. That's what that's half of what fractional does, right? Exactly. It, it does the it does the fracturing, and then it does the recomposition of them. Uh, and that's basically what fractional is. It's and so w- what this really allows uh, NFTs to to do is to become collateral in DeFi as an ERC twenty token. An Ave or Compound, they can feel secure about putting an ERC seven twenty one or uh, there are these these NFTs as collateral because of the way that the mechanism of fractional allows for the reconstitution of the NFT. It's an it's an atomic swap between the NFT and Ether. So if the NFT ever gets sold, the uh, ERC twenties of that NFT gets swapped out with Ether, and all lending platforms accept Ether as collateral. Uh, and so it's just a matter of an atomic swap between having an NFT as collateral to having Ether as as collateral, which is why these lending platforms can feel so secure. And that's just one of the one of the first like use cases of fractional that that could come out. So congratulations to Andy on the race. Bullish JPEGs, bullish composable bullish JPEGs. JPEGs. That's what that means. Um, <laughs> immutable JPEGs. Uh, speaking of NFTs and JPEGs, but other things as well, Immutable, um, they launched, they initiated the sale mm-hmm. of IMX tokens behind Immutable X. This is Ethereum's first layer two, a layer two using Starkware technology that is dedicated to NFT trading. Good time mm-hmm. for this. Um, here's the kicker, David. People can purchase it unless they live where? In the United States, Ryan. Yep. Because of the SEC. I feel, yep. I feel so protected by, by the SEC protecting me no from... No drops. Yeah. No oh, So you said the, the sales initiated. It actually starts on September 8th. So this is kind ah, of like fair, fair warning Easy. to anyone who is interested in participating in the IMX token sale. It's starting on September 8th. Uh, L2s and NFTs, I think, are really, really important to unlocking a bunch of possible new activities. I really think where like the high value NFTs, like CryptoPunks and like Fidenzas, they're going to stay on L1 just because those things are like millions of dollars. Uh, you don't necessarily need scale if you're going to pay like you're going to pay like fifty dollar gas fee to, to, for a million dollar CryptoPunk. That's fine. Uh, but for things like gaming or or high frequency trading of NFTs, or, or even just, David, like just, we were saying earlier, like I don't want to pay one hundred and thirty dollars mm-hmm. just to mint an initial NFT, right? right? Mm-hmm. But like I don't necessarily want to go to a side chain either. Like I want to stay in the Ethereum ecosystem and have the security of right. Ethereum, particularly for high value NFTs, mm-hmm. and that's why this layer two is nice because it provides you the security of um, layer one, right? This is not this is not even roll up. It's Starkware tech, so it's all like ZK magic. Um, that's what's super cool about it. And I wonder, in addition to trading, if we start to see some minting going on in layer two. And then totally. once it surpasses a certain amount of value, then maybe it moves to back to layer one. Absolutely. Yeah. Think about all the people in the world who like are compelled by like JPEG trading. 
which are a lot. We've, we know that a lot of people come to Ethereum just because they like the game of NFTs and they don't give a flying F about what Ethereum is or like EIP-1559 or Ether. Uh, <laughs> and so like, think about how many of uh, those people there are in the world. And like, that's what Immutable X unlocks is people that don't care about Ethereum, but really love NFTs. Uh, they're going to find themselves on Immutable because like, you know, minimize gas fees, uh, instantaneous trades, uh, you know, super scalable. It's just going to be where a lot of people call home. Yeah, you won't even know you're using it. Also, uh, disclaimer, Ryan this. and I are, are early seed investors in this as well. Also true. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about this. Blau just raised mm-hmm. $16 million to tokenize music royalties. Look, when we had him on Bankless, he said he was going to do it. I guess this <laughs> is him doing it. Yeah, no, he said that straight out. Like That was one of the last yeah. things he said. It's like, yeah, I, w- I want to help artists tokenize their revenue. And like my mind instantaneously went for like, uh, so you want to make a security? Uh, and this dude's smart too. He, dude's he, super like, smart. he knows what he's super, doing. He, absolutely. Uh, this is Justin Blau, the DJ, mm-hmm. um, Grammy award winning DJ, I believe. And uh, the platform is called Royal. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Which is a fantastic name. That's a really Great. hot name. Yeah. Royal.io. Royal, royal as in like royalty and then royal as in also in royalties, which makes a ton of sense. Uh, I really hope, I really hope this just gets instantaneous adoption. Like, the whole, like, if this is a security thing is one conversation, but like at the end of the day, let's democratize financial access and financial tooling towards creators. Let's make artists more easily able to tap into revenue streams. Like a security aside, like a sec- security is like an invention of like nation state regulation. So that's a separate conversation. It, w- it would be unfortunate if this didn't work out because of securities. But let's generate financial tooling so artists can get paid for their creativity so we can have this cultural revolution that we all want. But you know what? This is going to force the conversation, David, because how stupid is it mm-hmm. if uh, Blau or any other artist rolls out a portion of like their music and allows fans to participate in royalties? And we have mm-hmm. this infrastructure set up. Mm-hmm. How stupid is right. it for the SEC to then say, no, right. sorry. Are you an accredited investor? Right. You have to have a net worth over a million dollars to purchase do KYC, Blau's, right. a fraction of Blau's um, newest newest album. How crazy. Right. So it's going to force the conversation. Right. It is a conversation yes. we've never had because uh, I remember Jay Clayton in the early days. He was like, we can use the securities laws from 1930s and the 19, because nothing's new here. Right. Nothing ever is new. And I'm like, no, this is completely new. You can't mm-hmm. just like take securities laws that were written for a stock market in the 1930s and try to apply that to today's uh, DeFi infrastructure, we're talking totally different things. So it's going to force that conversation. Right. Right. If, if artists feel uncomfortable about this because of the securities laws, like that is a huge loss towards US, United States innovation and United States cultural innovation, right? And cultural expression. Like we literally will have a, a stunted culture because of this if the SEC comes uh, and like start start preventing anything. So, uh, Blau, I know you listen to the show. If you need any of like our support, happy to help you out with this. Our legal minds, our brilliant our, legal our, minds. Our legal <laughs> minds. <laughs> uh, jobs. Let's talk jobs. Um, wow, sites down. Sorry. Wah, wah. All right. Cool. We got a new one. Tracer Dow. Hey, friends. All right, thanks, Luke, for cutting this. All this reminds me, of course, guys, if you are looking for a job in crypto, go find a job. One place to do that is the Bankless job. job Boards. We will include that, a link in the show notes. Some hot jobs this week. A senior front-end Web3 developer at TracerDAO. We are just mentioning them earlier. And hey, there's Immutable. 
they need that. a senior product manager to work on that fancy new layer two that uh, they have deployed. Also a full stack eng software engineer at Pallet. Check out some of the best jobs in crypto and go to the Bankless Jobs website. A link will be there for you in the show notes or just Google Bankless Jobs. It's highly likely that all of these jobs, A, are a way more fun than whatever your your dumb legacy job is, but also <laughs> probably come with like tokens too, right? So think about that when you, when you hey, go look, onto this job board. We all had legacy jobs, right? And like, <laughs> we are just uh, very excited for you to join the bank, the the crypto industry and uh, partake in this journey in a new way. So uh, check that out. Right, good cop, bad cop. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we got both methods. News, David, let's talk news. Mm -hmm. Look, man, this is the biggest news. Visa, the plastic probably in your wallet. You probably mm -hmm. have a Visa card if you're listening to this. They just purchased a CryptoPunk. Right. Dude, that blew my mind. Uh -huh. They purchased a CryptoPunk for their balance sheet. Like the company went out. I don't think they bought some ETH, but they they used ETH through a third party in order to purchase a CryptoPunk. ETH is money. CryptoPunks are cultural internet cultural artifacts. And Fortune 500 companies are jumping into the fray here. This is insane to me. It's so funny that like, I mean, Visa has already had some sort of integration with USDC payments. And so they are already working on like settling payments on Ethereum. But like the the headline of just like, you know, announcement, Visa announces that it, in, instead of like settling payments on Ethereum, it's like Visa bought a CryptoPunk. <laughs> it's like not even at all their core competency. competency. Turns out Visa has a collection of historic commerce artifacts from early paper credit cards to the zip zap machine is what they say on the tweet i have no idea what what's, a zip -zap what's machine. the zip zap machine no, no clue but apparently it's oh, a cultural artifact uh, right. and so they're adding crypto punks to their like uh, collection of cultural artifacts that's awesome hey what do you think about this crypto punk um crypto punk expert Pretty ugly. Seven, pretty, pretty ugly crypto punk so it's got it's okay. got the the mohawk uh green eyeshadow red lipstick female um so it was definitely a floor punk uh but it definitely looks like a punk it looks like a punk that's for it's sure it's a legit punk it's that's a legit what's punk. important yeah. look they even uh changed their profile picture i think they changed it back. yeah damn they've rug pulled us they used to have the crypto punk as their profile picture uh which is kind of funny because that means whoever is like leading this charge definitely knows like the profile picture you nft what, game going on on crypto twitter you know who i think is partially leading this charge is a um, guy by the name of q sheffield who mm. um we are trying to get on bankless hopefully mm. he's coming in september mm. Mm. tbd we'll he's see you guys nice. um he has definitely been talking about that look at the, this was big too budweiser just bought beer.eth for 30 eth for 30 eth they paid over a hundred thousand dollars for a beer.eth ens name that's crazy. Mm. Look, um, there's some symbolism, I think, here. I mean, they were one of the early purchasers of all of the alcoholicbeverage.coms. Now here they are. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. ETH. Yeah, I mean, look, Budweiser has to have their brand everywhere, right? And right. so um, now they're recognizing that with, I think this is related to NFTs. Not only are ENS names an NFT, mm. but large companies are waking up to the fact that, hey, this is a new internet inspired movement and cultural movement and our brand needs to be part of this and associated with it and so this is not the way i thought uh corporate america would enter crypto david <laughs> with culture, and culture enter first Ethereum. no i didn't think that i thought well you know um you know there's a time i thought well maybe they'll do enterprise blockchain stuff right. and then kind of migrate over well maybe they'll start to put crypto on their balance sheet and yes some of that has happened uh in various pockets but 
it looks like the floodgates are just opening up because of NFTs. Starting with the memes. <laughs> okay. Starting with the memes and working backwards from there. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, anyway, very cool. Visa buys a CryptoPunk. Budweiser purchasing beer.eth. The first of many headlines like this, I think we'll see. Um, let's talk about this. The Ethereum client teams are getting a big donation from DeFi protocols, DeFi apps. This is pretty cool. What's going on? The story here goes all the way back because in the depth of the like the 2019, 2020 bear market, like Ethereum almost ran out of funding, right? Like client teams didn't have enough money. The Ethereum foundation, it had their store of ether, but that ether was $90. Uh, and so they had something, I, I can't remember exactly the exact numbers, but they were, they were like, you know, running, not running on fumes, but like you could see the fumes on the horizon, right? And all of a sudden, we had DeFi summer. We had like the Uniswap token. Uh, Lido's token has done fantastically well. Almost all of these tokens uh, in the app layer have done fantastically. So we have Compound, Lido, Synthetics, Graph, Uniswap, which all have tokens that have significantly outperformed and also Kraken, nice job Kraken, all donating $250,000 each to support Ethereum L1 client teams, Ethereum 1 client teams. Uh, and so that's things like Aragon, Nimbus, Go Ethereum, Nethermind. Uh, and so we have the app layer returning the favor to the protocol layer, which I think is really, really cool in, in, in terms of funding, right? Like this is, this is how you get a flywheel of an ecosystem. Like, no, we don't have to go out and ask for dollars. We will build our own app layers with our own currencies, with our own like DeFi tokens. They'll go up in value because of the reasons that they do. Uh, and then we will return that value back to the people that built the damn thing in the first place. Uh, I think it's so self-sovereign. It's so awesome. It's such a circular economy. uh, And it's completely inside of the values of Ethereum, which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, total agree. I've got like nothing to add except that better this sort of funding than issuance to Mm -hmm. protocol teams at the dev layer. That is less credibly neutral, in my opinion. That was a serious consideration Mm -hmm. in 2018. And we're solving it a different way, which is awesome to see. Cough, Kevin Um, Owaki. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Shout out <laughs> Kevin Owaki <laughs> for spurring a lot of this on. Um, let's talk about this. Abe, mm-hmm. are they doing an app right. on your phone? Mobile app. This I've, is I, awesome. I've yet to see a DeFi mobile app really take off, especially for an app specific one. But Ave has such a large ecosystem that it makes sense that they would go first. Plus, they also tend to develop in like literally every single direction and also do it really, really well. Um, so that's going to be a little bit interesting. I wonder if this would be like a, a native wallet on your phone. Uh, it's also interesting to know that Ave is like significantly diving into the world of social media in web three. They're so doing my, everything. The I fact that they are building an app alongside, like also experimenting with social media is kind of interesting. Like they are basically just building out an entire empire. Yeah. It's really cool to see. Um, good, good job, Ave, the team that keeps shipping. Uh, speaking of another team that's shipping, StarkX. We're doing it more quietly, but this is powering a lot of the layer two ecosystem that's up today. Um, the ZK rollup uh, ecosystem in particular. So DYDX and Diversify, um, and then also So Rare and Immutable coming up. We mentioned Immutable uh, earlier, but the, the, the headline is StarkX just crossed 10 billion in cumulative trading across DYDX and Diversify. Super cool to see that, 10 billion in trading. Yeah, a significant amount of this activity definitely comes off of the tailwinds from the DYDX token. Turns out tokens uh, garner communities and garnered communities put volume onto layers that have the tokens involved with them. So that makes a ton of sense. Uh, And so yeah, congratulations to, to StarkX and DYDX.
Yeah, let's talk about some of the DYDX success metrics while we're at it. David, what are they doing here? What are some of the highlights? Yeah, Antonio from DYDX, who we've also had on the show, if you guys want more details about this, it says daily trading volume over 400 million for the first uh, day and growing 73,000 lifetime users with 34,000 added since launch. Again, the power of a token. And then also $1.8 million in revenue towards DYDX per week. So that's pretty cool. That is a successful app if ever I've seen one. Yep. Sorry if you're a U.S. investor, you can't have the DYDX Rip. token. Just to remind Rip. you. Rip. Sad. 90 CryptoPunks. Hey, look, let's talk about CryptoPunks in general, but I love let me start with this headline. Because it's kind of been CryptoPunk week, month. I'm not sure. The 90 CryptoPunks just got snapped up in one hour following Visa's $150,000 purchase. So large company enters. It's bullish for the entire CryptoPunks market. And 90 gets swapped up at once. That's not an individual. It's got to be some sort of right. capital pool, um, some sort of a fund swapping these up. Oh, no, on? that's just like everyone. That's not any one specific oh, person. Okay. That's just like v one Visa announced that they got their CryptoPunk. And so everyone FOMO'd and bought like 90 more in the next like out couple and that hours that raises or so. the floor. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. Because people are just like, okay, this is now a financial asset. I don't even care what the punk is. I'll just buy the cheapest one. It's super, super ugly. Uh, but like it's also a quarter million dollars for the cheapest one. <laughs> <laughs> CryptoPunks so, had an absolutely insane week. And so there, uh, the this Dune Analytics dashboard for CryptoPunks, which I really, really like, you can see the URL at the top. Uh, if it has a weekly volume chart a little bit further down, Ryan. And a couple weeks ago, we had these all the two all-time highs bars uh, in, in weekly volume. Uh, keep going, let's keep going a little bit more down. There you go, right, there we go. Bar, bar chart, a little bit, uh, there we go. Okay, two super high, uh, all-time high charts. Uh, and wow. then, and that was... Uh, two weeks ago before this week. And then this week, which again, it's Thursday at the time of recording. So probably by the time you're listening to it, the most recent bar is going to dwarf the previous two weeks in punk volume. So punk volume is on track to set an all-time high in weekly volume this week. Yeah, that's incredible. A huge week for CryptoPunks. Um, let's talk about general bullishness on NFTs. This is one of the leads of YouTube. This is the head of gaming. Look, he follows Bankless. Look at that. Oh, no shit. Look um, at that. I'm bullish on NFTs, he says. I believe play to earn is the next major gaming model as well as an open market for in-game digital assets. Most in-game assets are liquid, which is insane to me. All of this will change long-term, though, through blockchains and NFTs. It's self-evident. Self-evident. This is Ryan Wyatt, who is uh, the head of gaming at YouTube calling NFTs for gaming now self-evident. And that's a wave we haven't seen hit aside from axes, but maybe that's where things are headed next. Just imagine, think of, think of Ryan, Ryan Watt, uh, he works at YouTube. So like his job is more or less to get more attention onto YouTube. And we already have an insane amount of attention with like, you know, esports and gaming, right? Like gaming has all the attention it needs. But now add financial assets on top of that, right? So like if you win or lose a game, you win or lose NFTs, right? Imagine some sort of like object permanence with the outcome of gamers. Think about how much more attention there is when there's financial loss or financial rewards at the outcome of some of these games. Uh, and so that is like the collision course that we are seeing behind NFTs on Ethereum and like the world of gaming. That is what we are seeing on the horizon. Like it could happen so quickly too. Uh, yeah, so you don't want to get lost left behind on this trend. Uh, neither does Facebook. So this is David Marcus, who is the lead of Facebook's used to be called Libra. Now it's called DM project. Um, Facebook and Novi, that's the wallet behind Facebook are definitely looking to integrate NFTs as well. So 
Facebook, social media platforms talking about the interaction integration of NFTs. Like dude, this could be so huge. I mean, just imagine uh, Instagram starts mm. doing something mm. with NFTs, right? It's a perfect platform right. for social sharing of NFTs. Like, I mean, the platform where everyone tries and flexes on each other and has their influence. It's all social signaling, It's all right? social, social signaling. That's exactly right. <laughs> that's, the whole, that's the whole platform. So like, why not do it with NFTs? Of right. course, that's going to happen. Like guys, David, sometimes I feel like so much of this is just right in front of us. Right. It's mm. like, if this happens, then this will happen. And mm. look, I mean, we could trace exactly what's going to happen. Every single social media platform from Reddit to, to Facebook to Instagram, hell, LinkedIn, I don't right. know. You like they're all going to incorporate NFTs in crypto. You have to, you have to. It, it's going to happen. They can't get left behind. And I think that's going to be an outcome of JPEG summer. It's mm. basically everybody in the Web2 world is going to wake up and be like, oh, this is a thing. What's our NFT strategy, David? Mm. You know, what should it be? Uh, and uh, that's going to be an outcome, a lot of movement on that, I think. Two, two weeks ago in the Market Monday for Bankless, I talked about the intersection between DeFi and NFT. And, and Ryan, I know that you were in the same camp with me. I thought DeFi was going to be like how Ethereum goes mainstream. It's like, oh, we have these all financial primitives. You can literally make more money by living in this DeFi world. That's yeah. what's going to pull in so many people to Ethereum. It, it pulled in a fair amount, but no, NFTs are absolutely dominating DeFi as like Ethereum's like marketing layer. I kind of call uh, NFTs is like Ethereum peacocking itself to the world. And like, look, look at after just like two or three weeks of just like manic NFT activity, we get Visa to buy a CryptoPunk. We get the head of uh, Facebook finances uh, says he's interested in incorporating NFTs. We have YouTube head of gaming saying like NFTs are absolutely a thing. Like everyone has like negative, negative things to say about like a mania because that's everyone, everyone gets really excited, but then a lot of people get really bitter, but no one can argue with how much positive marketing this NFT movement has done for Ethereum and what's about to come after it as a result of that. Look, you know, the other thing for these big companies, David, with NFTs, no regulatory risk. Mm -hmm. You're not going to mm -hmm. piss off anyone with a JPEG. Right. Like. I, be, I no bet you, I'm I don't, actually not so convinced about that. I bet you uh, that I bet you the SEC could find a way. <laughs> maybe they will. But what I'm saying is like, this is not like the ICO market or something yes. serotipish, uh, uh, something like that is uh, anti-bank, I guess, or AML KYC. They're just JPEGs. Just How mad bro. can you get mm -hmm. uh, about like a board ape or right. a crypto punk? Right. Um, and, and if you can, you need to do some self-reflection. <laughs> Far less regulatory risk. I think that's why they're making a move here. Bitcoin world. What's happening in Bitcoin is uh, MicroStrategy is purchasing some more. Go Michael Saylor. He is nothing if not consistent. He yeah, just bought another sure. $177 million <laughs> worth of Bitcoin, just dollar cost averaging his way in. Michael Saylor, come on. Just one CryptoPunk. Just one, <laughs> just one. Like it's the only thing we for talk about. Personally, what else is okay? The the other like Bitcoin news is that like hash rate is returning to Bitcoin. Also with Ethereum, you can see it in the GPU markets as well. Uh, and like other than that, like God, Bitcoin is so boring lately. David, you know what? Look, so like for for the listener, here are our notes, right? right. So I uh -huh. showed us. I right. like I print them off because right. I'm because you're that's a boomer. Right. I have it on my second screen. As, right. so as I print this a, off. a young younger guy boomer. would do. As a younger guy, yes. But I'm old. I, I don't know. I can't see well, whatever. Um, so I'm looking at the notes. But like every week we've been looking to add some additional Bitcoin stuff. And what I thought would we try, is we try our best. In December of last year, when everyone was very excited about um, companies adding Bitcoin to the balance sheet, I thought by now, every single week, David, we'd be like, oh, 
you know, MasterCard, uh, right. JP Morgan, mm. uh, here are the list of companies mm. adding Bitcoin Central to Bank the of Argentina. Sheet. Yeah, right. you know, boom, ba balance sheet. What have we got? Every week we get Michael Saylor, like right. once just a month, Michael. It's dollar just him. cost averaging it's in. Just we had him. some news about El Salvador. <laughs> like it just hasn't happened. Mm. And I'm not like excited or gleeful about that. I'm just right. like, um, it's something that the crypto market I think has been wrong about right. is that aspect has not happened very fast or as fast as everyone was thinking, you know, six, nine months ago, but the NFT thing hit a lot of people right. by surprise. Right. I mean, we'll see how long the NFT like market lasts. It's lasted a whole entire quarter now. Uh, I mean, we were using that metaphor of like, you know, Michael Saylor starts allocating to big uh, Bitcoin. He does it again. Then he does it again. And then like one more company does it. And then another company does it. And then another yep. company does it. That, that, that did, that did happen. And then yeah. we were using that metaphor of like the guy like dancing at the festival and he's like dancing yeah, yeah, solo yeah, yeah, yeah. and then a bunch of more people come. It was kind of just feels like everyone else, except for that one guy, went back to their it's seats. Just Michael Saylor out still there. Just, there's just Michael Saylor left, just like dancing out there. Like it kind of acts. Everyone kind of like, yeah, I'm bored. I'm going back to my seat. It's weird. It still might happen. I mean, right. I remember he was putting on seminars and there were like supposedly hundreds of various mm -hmm. uh, executives attending these things, but. I don't know. Maybe they're all just waiting and seeing. Um, hey, earlier but, in this episode, I said you should allocate to things when they're quiet. And so like to be consistent, I'll say the same thing. Like maybe Bitcoin is just quiet right now. And and maybe maybe this is the time to allocate to Bitcoin. There I, you go. Yeah, I, I'm the not time to allocate it, is when it's got one headline a week, which is Michael <laughs> Saylor. Um, that's the time to allocate. Maybe. Let's talk about this. Someone who is buying is the crypto industry. And I think this is super bullish. This happened last Thursday or Friday after our last weekly roll-up uh, was recorded, but Coinbase has revealed a board approval to purchase $500 million of crypto on their balance sheet. That's adding $500 million to their existing crypto holdings. I'm not sure what the value of those are, but I imagine it's significant. And then on top of that, they're going to be investing 10% of profit moving forward into crypto. By crypto, what do we mean? Not just Bitcoin, not even just Bitcoin and ETH, Bitcoin, ETH, and DeFi. Surprise, surprise. Uh, those are the main investments according to the Coinbase blog post. Hey, look, super cool. You can't ever accuse the crypto industry of not being bullish on its own asset. We right. are very bullish on crypto. Right. So is Coinbase, the exchange. I would expect nothing less. Good for them. And that's just like what I said about the circular like flywheel economy. It's like, hey, we only need ourselves to be bullish. Like We can just do it ourselves. So if we are buying our own assets, fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's just all getting bigger, right? And so Coinbase is now a publicly traded company. I mean, four or five years ago, this would not have been a major headline. Now it is because they're deploying 500 million cash uh, from all the crypto industry profits. I can't pull up the he headline because I'm uh, getting the the Bloomberg, or should I say the Bankberg uh, firewall. <laughs> the Bankberg firewall. <laughs> the Bankberg firewall from Bloomberg. But this is a headline about uh, Coinbase and Circle. They are now backing USDC by treasuries, purely treasuries. It was some other things in addition to treasuries and dollars in the bank account. Now they're making a move to back it all by basically T-bills, right? And, uh, and cash in the bank. And you know what this speaks of, I think, David, is they're getting ready to talk to regulators and talk to DC about um, USDC as a potential monetary tool that the US government can use. I think that's what this means. They're cleaning things up and they're saying, we're not like Tether. You can actually start to export USDC 
to other economies around the world. And US government, don't you want that for US dollar supremacy, monetary supremacy across the world? We can help export this for you. I think that's really what they're gearing up for. And they're removing the objections, which is like, we don't know what's backing USDC. And they could say, no, you know exactly what's backing it. It's dollars and T-bills. And they could say, yep, that's cool. Um, I have another take on this, but I'll get your reaction first. Yeah, and this goes goes back to the early commitments that we had about stable coins is that they are one-to-one swappable for the actual dollars, uh, for all dollars. So they're 100% backed, right? Um, this is what Tether has kind of failed on, but turns out the market didn't really care about that. But it is definitely what regulators care about. Uh, and this is uh, definitely a strategy from Jeremy, Jeremy Allaire and Circle and company to front run like future, like top-down regulation coming to like impact their business. They're just doing it themselves. Uh, and so, you know, there's the, the whole uh, risk of, of, you know, USCC becoming like too big to fail. What, what, what happens with this? Like regulators get concerned about too many U.S. Uh, dollars on Ethereum. But at least they can say we have all the money in the bank. There can't be really all that much risk because we have all the money. Think about the traditional banking system, which operates on a 10 to 1 fractional reserve. And now compare and contrast that to USDC, which operates on a 1 to 1 reserve. Yeah, but actually also that same 10 to 1 because it's eventually it's, it's US dollars in, a, in the same bank accounts. Mm. It's just like an overlay on top of it. That's a good point. You know what's kind of interesting what I was thinking about when I read this, David, is if Facebook has had so much tr- trouble launching Libra and DM, right? Here, here's the big brain uh, play for Mark Zuckerberg. Go purchase Circle. Right. Take USDC, call it DM, roll it out on Facebook. Keep, boom, keep you're done. Keep it USDC. Easy, easy. No, that is, that is a logical conclusion. Look, this is also what I worry about though, right? Is because this is why this cannot, USDC, as much as I love it, it's great. It cannot be the only stable coin solution on top of Ethereum because at the end of the day, it is a banked coin. It is not a self-sovereign unit of stable currency. Anyways, for the bankless folk, uh, denominate in Ether. And also if you want more stability, use Rye. There you go, Rye. Mm, Rye is dope. Rye is dope. Yep. Coinbase sponsoring an esports team. They're joining the club too. This is pretty cool. What's happening? Yeah, so Coinbase kind of like following in the footsteps of Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX trying to slap uh, FTX everywhere. Now Coinbase is slapping Coinbase on an esports team. Seems to be a very logical place to get your your advertisement. You know, E standing for electronic, uh, you know, very proximate to the whole like digital finance world. Uh, I think, you know, e- the community behind esports will be much more inclined to become crypto people than any other population in the world. Uh, and so be. I think that's the right population to, to market to. So nice job, Coinbase. Um, crypto is taking over. Guys, that is the news for this week. We are going to be right back with the takes of the week. And of course, you can't forget the meme of the week that's coming up next. But before we get there, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that is going to completely change how we use DeFi. If you've been using Ethereum for the past 12 months, you've probably noticed the high gas fees and the slow confirmation times that have been plaguing DeFi. Too many people want to use Ethereum and it doesn't have enough capacity for all of us. That's where Arbitrum comes in. Arbitrum is a layer two to Ethereum, which means Arbitrum can increase Ethereum's throughput by orders of magnitude at a fraction of the cost of what you are used to paying. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of security and decentralization. This is why people are calling this Ethereum's broadband moment, where we get to add performance onto decentralization and security. 
If you're a developer and you want to save on gas costs and overall make a better experience for your users, go to developer.offchainlabs.com to get started building on Arbitrum. If you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps building on Arbitrum. Arbitrum has been working with over 300 teams, including Ethereum's top infrastructure projects, and will be opening up to all users shortly. There are so many apps coming online to Arbitrum, so you may want to pack your bags in preparation for the great migration to Arbitrum Layer 2. To get up to speed with Arbitrum, follow them on Twitter at Arbitrum and join their Discord. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. All right, guys, we are back with the takes for the week. Let's start with this one from Chris Dixon. This is all about how networks are turning into economies. He's talking about the Web3 world, the world of crypto, the world of Bankless. What do you think Chris is saying in this Twitter thread? We'll include the full tweet thread uh, in the show notes for you guys to check out. I think it's worth reading. But what's the TLDR from your perspective, David? Yeah, I'm reminded of this conversation I had with uh, Chris Berniski, who talked about how Ethereum and just all these tools on Ethereum are providing uh, financial foundations for more and more cultures to be built upon Ethereum. They're providing the economic foundations for more and more culture. Chris is using the word networks. Um, I, I would like to replace that word with community. It's all the same thing, like social networks, community networks, 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 like they're all kind of the same things. And uh, what uh, Chris Dixon is talking about is that these financial primitives like Uniswap, the ERC-20 token, NFTs, they all make it easier for networks and therefore communities to become bootstrapped and to be economically viable. Uh, and so Chris is talking about just how these all these financial tools are allowing more and more things to be created because they've done all the like the heavy lifting of like actually having a meaningful economic platform. So when I hear this take from Chris, it's a very long thread. Chris has been doing some threads recently, so go read the whole thing if you are interested. But what I'm hearing uh, out of Chris is that uh, communities are like the next frontier of financial like primitives, right? Like we, the communities are what's next when it comes to the world of finance. Yeah, he's basically talking about like take your your social network, a community that you have, and then turn that into an economy and like see what you can unlock. And he goes in and he takes the example of a band who spent years building a following but only gets pennies from its streaming service. And he says, use tokens and NFTs, the band can upgrade their networks, which is their community, into an entire economy. So you take an example like the goods that flow through the band's economy could be social tokens, digital art, collectible tickets, game objects. All of these things could be primitives. And then uh, the band could get revenue from primary issuance, cuts of resales, 
maybe owning a chunk of these fungible tokens. And the idea is all of these communities and economies will be uh, composable. So you create a base layer and then maybe like the fans of one band can build on top of the community that another uh, band has built on. All of these services and systems and economies become like Lego blocks. Uh, and um, you know, you don't have to fight these economies. You could just trade with them and build other things on top of them. So what I think is cool is it's what we're seeing right now, David, is it's just crypto natives picking up these tools and using them for crypto communities and crypto networks. But what happens when um, people outside of communities outside of crypto start to realize that these tools are here and build and transform their communities into economies. That's going to be pretty exciting. The, the bull case for this is that it actually becomes rational to turn your community in so, into some sort of like financial network and because it's just better for everyone involved. Absolutely, including the, uh, the fans. Um, let's take the Scott Lewis take. I really like this one. So he's comparing three different, I think, seasons, bull market seasons, maybe in crypto. And he says, in 2017, the winners were in the bull market uh, of the ICO market were promoters primarily. In 2020, Marketers, yeah. mm -hmm. the DeFi bull market, the winners were engineers and finance people. And now in 2021, the NFT bull market winners are who? I don't know. People who know what will be cool, you know, <laughs> cultural aficionados. Mm -hmm. He says the cool thing about NFT summer is that it gives a different type of person a chance to have the most alpha. Really cool. Mm -hmm. So um, there, there are a lot of people I think who missed out on kind of what was going on with with uh, ICOs and with Ethereum during its early days. Okay, well, there's another bite at that apple with DeFi summer. But in order to understand DeFi, you have to really understand like financial geek stuff. Right. Um, and like, what are derivatives? What are options like lending and borrowing stuff? Well, also, like, of... can you read the contract address? Because yeah. like, if you can read the contract address, you can ape way sooner than like people like me who just wait for their friends to go first. Yeah, exactly. So you had to have a different set of skills. But now in 2021 with this NFT bull market, you have to have a different set of skills. Right. Again, you have to have like some cultural appreciation. Like, David, I have no... I like, I look at these NFTs and I don't really know what I'm looking at, to be honest. Like I have no, I, I don't have the cultural sensibility, my friend. Like I just, I, what's good art? I don't know. Does I that know mean you're a cultural outsider. Like. <laughs> you, you just don't know but what's that's cool. That's great. But that's great because like, um, a new set, a, a new cohort co cohort has done very well in mm. this market and it's different from the previous two cohorts. So I think that is, uh, that is really cool. We're seeing multiple different groups win in these different bull markets. I think we are seeing every single era of Ethereum is marked by some sort of mania, right? The ICO, DeFi summer, now NFTs. And if, I mean, there's only three data points here, but like the, the who can actually access these gains keeps on getting spread to more and more people with every single era, right? Like, you know, even though I couldn't read contract addresses in DeFi summer, like I could still like click approve on my YAM token contract on Uniswap and, and then go from there, right? NFTs is like even more people, like you don't even have to understand like yield farming. You just have to understand that that picture is kind of cool and hope that you think other people also think that picture is kind of cool. Uh, and so like, hopefully, hopefully this trend continues of like the next mania after whatever this, however long this NFT mania goes for is also something that is even more like democratized and even more larger of a community because that would just be again, more and more marketing of Ethereum towards more and more people. Uh, and so, and so like every, like you said, like everyone gets a, a bite of the apple, everyone gets a bite of the apple, uh, more and more people are getting a bite of the apple and the apple is also growing larger every single time.
<laughs> bigger apple, more bytes, different cohorts with each bite. What's really cool is that's true from a builder's perspective too. So the artists had done really well right. in the NFT bull market, which is really neat to see. Uh, David, why don't you take this yeah. take? It's another take on the NFT boom on Ethereum. Yeah, so this is uh, Cyrus Unessi, uh, who is a, <laughs> I, I like to call him in certain moments, this is definitely one of them, based Cyrus. Uh, and so he goes, uh, massively underappreciated aspect of the NFT boom on Ethereum. Scam coin copy chains like Tron, BSC, EOS, whatever the F, can't clone our NFTs on their chain. No maker clones, no Venus or Pangolin, no pancake swap. No vampire attacks, no bridges, no backroom bribes, nothing. Binance Chain tried to tried and failed with Binance Punks, which was a huge failure. Soul Punks, failure. Justin Sun tried to steal every DeFi app, even though he even failed at that, but he'll never steal the NFTs because you can't copy or clone culture like that. The moat for Ethereum is massive. The only exception I think for is of Ethereum-friendly friendly projects like Polygon. So yeah, Cyrus is a little, little aggressive with like, you know, talking smack about all the other non-Ethereum chains. So he definitely has his ETH Maxi hat on. So trying to pull him back a little bit, like all you have to do is understand that like all of the valuable NFTs, like CryptoPunks, Fidenzas, all the ARPLOCs, the Chromie Squiggles, they're all on Ethereum. And that is an inarguable fact. Uh, and so as more and more, like the, the moat around Ethereum as like the place where valuable NFTs become minted, just grows even stronger because like imagine if you have a fantastic awesome art project like you need to mint it next to all the other valuable art projects you can't go over to some other chain and mint it there you need to to like ride in the the tailwinds of all the other nfts that are being print, printed on ethereum so like ethereum is pretty much establishing a monopoly on culture which is a moat that like you Cyrus said you can't fork that you can't fork it and you can't fake it is what he's saying it's a really good take mm -hmm. um Let's talk about DC investors take. I didn't see it a year ago, but I can see it very clearly now. NFTs will cement ETH dominance. That's it. That's the tweet. Yep. That's, yes, that's basically what Cyrus said in like two sentences. Absolutely. Look, uh, ETH being used as a store of value, unit of account, medium of exchange for NFTs is super bullish ETH as an asset class. The fact that NFTs have grown so, so large is super bullish ETH, but you know, the thing that sticks out to me so much is actually the first sentence in his tweet here, David, which is, I didn't see it a year ago, but I could see it very clearly now. It's crazy how even when you are in this space day in and day out, you can't necessarily predict when big trends will emerge and, and pop and you have to be ready for them. But the timing is so, so tricky. Uh, hard to see how the space emerges. Now it's pretty obvious, but it wasn't a year ago. Uh, anyway, good take by DC there. Okay, Another let's... one from Cyrus. Different, different uh, topic matter here, uh, but also kind of similar. Cyrus says, quick investment thread. One of the best investing abilities is to recognize trends ahead of time, find talent, etc. Like if you knew BTC or ETH or punks were really going to blow up, awesome, you made a bunch of money. But that's really, really hard. I also think there's a second and equally valuable and maybe not often not talked about facet of investing. And that's the notion of feeling like you've missed the boat when you actually haven't. When I first found Bitcoin in 2015, I thought I was already, I was already too late and already and barely invested. It had already, Bitcoin had already rallied a thousand X by then. Uh, when he found ETH in 2016, I thought, if Cyrus says, I thought I was too late and I barely invested. It was already up 400 X. When I found a YFI, I thought maybe I'm not so late. 
even the price had already gone up to 10X. And so Cyrus did a tiny bit more than he otherwise would have. And then again, when he found punks only this year, everything was already up 100 to 1,000X. But Cyrus says, I've been training myself to think, hey, maybe I'm still early. Maybe if I'm spending 24 seven consuming in this space, it's actually unlikely that I'm late to recent popular trends. Just because some absolute Chad genius found it before me and has the extra 100X on his belt doesn't mean there isn't huge upside left for the rest of us. I still didn't go mega hard, but again, a tiny bit more. It's a slow process that I am training myself for. Cyrus's point is, he doesn't feel like he has to jump on every hot trend from the start or discover things purely on his own. Sometimes being around and, uh, and keeping your eyes open can be enough. To that end, I aped into a bunch of degenerative art lately. It feels bubbly. It feels toppy. He doesn't understand it all, but it's clearly becoming extremely popular. I'm just not convinced that I'm late to the game, says Cyrus. I don't uh, care that I'm lifting highs. If it takes off in a few years, I'll look back and realize I was actually pretty early. So good perspective. The thing I've been always been saying uh, about the world of crypto is the moment you come into crypto, you are by definition like the latest one to the game. Right, like you can't be early if you just came in, but think about all the people that are yet to come in. So it's more about the belief of: Do you think more people are going to enter this ecosystem, and where do you, where are you on the global scale of adoption? Because that's the frame of reference you need to enter. Not like, oh, literally everyone else has a CryptoPunk. Well, everyone else who's inside of Ethereum has a CryptoPunk, or everyone who's inside of Ethereum has a Bored Ape or a Penguin, or insert your favorite NFT thing here. Right, by definition, uh, and so like. This industry is built on scarcity and it's engineered to make you feel FOMO. Uh, and so if you feel FOMO, that not only is that just like par for the course, but like if you weren't feeling FOMO, this industry wouldn't be so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. That That's always the question. I think that's a huge impediment to people investing in this asset class in crypto is they feel like they're late, right? And they usually don't learn that they were actually early until a whole cycle goes by and they miss it. And then they like, buy somewhere near the top, right? right? And they FOMO in. So it's such a trap. Uh, if you're listening to Bankless, I, I could just say this from an asset class perspective as a whole, you are not late. You are still early to the party. People might say like, well, like I bought and now it's down. And I'm like, well, when did you buy? And it's like three months ago. It's like, <laughs> three days on, ago. <laughs> what? No, like you're only late if you Relative, leave. Right, yeah, you're only late if you leave, yep. And so if you stay in, if you zoom out, you're not late. Look at this asset over years and uh, decades rather than, than months. And don't fall into the psychological trap. This is what Cyrus is saying, of feeling like you are too late for this asset class. Wise words. All right, last take here. This is a headline from Coindesk about OnlyFans showing how the banking system is politicized. OnlyFans, Buckle, maybe we could talk about that. And then how does that show how the banking system is politicized. I think this is an article from Nick Carter. We're just reading the headline here. Right, so this is the importance of Ethereum being a politics-free, politically neutral financial layer for the world because we have OnlyFans who is going to ban like a sexually explicit content from their platforms because their payment providers were going to stop servicing payments because the payments world is very conservative. Uh, it has political opinions about how money should be sent around and what can be purchased with money. And so we now have like these payment providers like MasterCard and Visa and, and all, also the banking layer dictating what our values are when we pay for things. They are saying, no, you are not allowed to purchase uh, sexually explicit images because uh, we are conservative and we don't like that which is a bunch of BS upon human rights and human individual freedoms. If, if humans want to ape into like sexy pictures, 
Let them do it. Let them do it. Don't restrict them at the payments layer. And so this whole OnlyFans debacle, which uh, uh, is what Nick Carter is writing about, is showing how the traditional banking system is a political system. It has political uh, beliefs, and it's imposing up those beliefs upon people against their will. We didn't elect this. We didn't elect for this to happen. This is just like uh, some centralized group of people determining what our human values are. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think people don't realize that their banking system is political. It has um, some beliefs. It's not a credibly neutral system that anyone gets access to. And if you're not concerned about like OnlyFans or the pot, the, the pot industry, the marijuana industry, or other marginalized industries, because like you're not into those industries, um, then just think about what if it happened to you and to your industry. Political or donations. What if, yeah. What if exactly? What if you had a politically controversial, I, I, um, you know, job or uh, set of ideas or organization, and you were cut out from the economic network? Say so you worked at of, Planned Parenthood. Exactly. Or mm. like anywhere, whatever mm. your values are. I think the base point of um, this entire movement, this crypto movement, is to separate government from the money system, right? Like, so that we have a credibly neutral base layer. Humanity has one, not the US, not Japan, not China, but all of humanity has a internet native, credibly neutral communication layer for transmitting value. That's really the bottom line that doesn't make uh, any distinctions on your ideology, your, your political belief, your, like your, your sex, um, your race, any of these things. I, mean, I think about like Afghanistan right now, and what's going on there with, as the Taliban is kind of reclaiming the entire country of, of Afghanistan is, is ruling back um, women's rights. Uh, no longer, like they will know, women will no longer have the ability to uh, open bank accounts in that country, right? It's like, that's not right. You know, every, if you're a human being, you have access to the internet, you should have the, you have the ability to open an ETH address. And the protocol doesn't make any distinction about even your age. Like you can't, you, you know, David, you can't get a bank account unless you're over uh, 18 or over in the US, right? Well, like, why not? A 12 year old can open an ETH address. Like Ethereum doesn't care what you're doing with it. Totally. Uh, and we need that kind of base layer for, um, for basic freedoms as we enter into the digital age. That's why we're so passionate about this. And we talk about it all the time because we really believe these freedoms are important to humanity's future. Now, one of the stories that I always like to recite uh, for people that are more skeptical as, as to like the power of this industry is this, this story, a very, very true story of a, a Muslim wife who had a very abusive husband. And you, as a, as, a, as a Muslim female in Muslim countries, you can't open a bank account. It's against the law. Uh, and so she started in her own time while her husband was away at work uh, writing blog blogs for a blog page and she was paid in Bitcoin and she was able to save up enough Bitcoin to take her kids and divorce her husband and run away. Like, and the, the, the Muslim financial system, wherever they or whatever that correct word is, was never going to be able to support her in that endeavor because it was a political financial system. So this, this individual, this lady used an apolitical financial system to express her individual desires of not being abused by an abusive husband. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. David, 
What are you excited about this week? I am excited about an article coming out on the Bankless newsletter on Wednesday. I need to finish it by then, but I got the weekend ahead of me. Uh, and this also pairs with a take I have saying that everything in the metaverse is getting serialized by NFTs on Ethereum. So uh, there, we will expand on this more in the article. But uh, as we all know, I'm, I'm super just like focused on the relationships or comparisons bet, uh, between Ethereum and nation states and other previous like organizational structures that we've seen in humanity, religion also, and feudalism. Ethereum is a neo-nation state. It's a nation in the cloud. It's a digital nation. Uh, and we are all a part of it. And not only are we putting our monies there, we're also putting our, our identities there. Uh, we are also putting a, a like image uh, on our identities. That's kind of like the NFT avatar movement. But we're also putting our art on Ethereum, right? Our, our Fidenzas that are worth like $3 million. Like Ethereum knows. Ethereum knows who, are, who we are because of NFTs. And it knows what our value, the items that we have valued. It knows what they are. Uh, and so nation states like to account for everything. And it's a very imperfect science when it comes to the meat space nature of the world. But in Ethereum, Ethereum is all knowing. And, and it also unlocks the ex existence of the metaverse by actually instantiating digital items on Ethereum by serializing it, right? You actually get like a code to instantiate the value of your physical or digital art by putting it on Ethereum. So like the question you have to ask yourself is, if it doesn't exist on Ethereum, does it even exist in the metaverse at all? Uh, and so there's a bunch to unpack there, and I hope everyone uh, reads the article coming out on Wednesday. Really cool, man. I'm looking forward to reading it. Uh, Ryan, what are you excited about? Um, so you know the podcast that we did with uh, Andy and, and DZ earlier mm -hmm. this week about uh, these, NFTs? Yeah. Mm -hmm. these, well, so I haven't really gone down the rabbit hole um, of NFTs, as you kind of know, right? So like, I feel somewhat like, Look, man, life's just busy. It's hard to keep track. I keep track of crypto, DeFi. I've been monitoring NFT space, but I haven't really- Life is busy. Is that why you don't have a punk? <laughs> Look, man, that's why, okay? Sorry, this is your they, time. They also time. got really They also got really expensive, mm -hmm. you know? It's like, but here's the thing for, for me with um, crypto punks is because I don't think I took the time to understand it fully and like I, I didn't grok it, didn't get it. It always, like crypto punks always felt too expensive to me. Mm -hmm. And they were trading for like a thousand. I was like, right. a thousand for a thing? <laughs> no, thank you. That's crazy. That's insane. And like, and then 2,000, then 4,000. Now they're like 200,000, 300,000, 400,000, right? So um, after that episode, I figured like, you know what? I need to spend some more time and really understand NFTs. So I went on OpenSea and I took the advice from our, um, our podcast. And I like, I tried to dabble and figure some stuff out. And I bought some like, you know, smaller NFTs, that sort of thing. Um, and now I decided to embark on a little like trading experiment. So uh, today I just uh, posted this on Twitter. I am going to try to start with like the smallest, crappiest NFT possible on OpenSea. I found this like little turtle, David. It's like, um, it's got a Santa Claus hat and it's got a cigarette, it's smoking and it costs 0.01 ETH. And I want to experiment to see if I can trade up this um, NFT, this P, uh, this profile NFT, PFP NFT, as my avatar, all the way to the highest possible echelon. Okay, so like the highest possible echelon in the avatar space is a crypto punk. Do I think I'll get there? Uh, probably not. But like, let's start with let's start by being ambitious. And if you've ever um, 
heard of that, uh, you know, like that paperclip with a guy who starts with a paper paperclip and trades up. And like a year later, he's got like a car and all of these things. There's a DAO that launched that actually did it. Right. And now they have like a token reward sort of thing that they're providing um, as part of the, the trading up program. But I want to try this experiment. And like, I don't know how far I'll get or if anyone will actually care and trade with me. Right. Um, but what's fun is it's going to be, I think it's going to be an interesting experience. It's going to get me into these various avatar communities and like actually figure out the NFT space uh, as I'm like trading and learning what's valuable and trying to make my way up. So the idea is start with a turtle, end up with what? Maybe a crypto punk? Probably not, but like somewhere in between and see how far I can take this thing and just learn about the NFT space the entire way. So that's my little project. It's going to be fun. I hope, um, you know, we'll see where it goes. Yeah. Hopefully you score a high score. I think the biggest, uh, hurdle you're going to have to overcome is actually convincing someone to buy your turtle, <laughs> but like, Hey, maybe that, maybe there is like a yeah. generous individual who is interested in ta cute, though. taking your, your turtle off your hands. There yeah. Is. This is the first time you've changed your profile picture in like four years, but God yeah. damn, is that a shitty turtle dude? <laughs> it really is. It's a pretty bad. I actually, turtle. I tweeted out and I asked like, uh, show me the, like the most garbage, lowest tier, cheapest mm -hmm. NFT. And I got a lot of answers and the turtle was one of them. So I was like, yeah. okay, we'll start there. I think, anyway, I think your best bet is somebody just wants this turtle just on the fact that like you bought it and now they kind of want so it. We're talking about it, it yeah. right now. Right. Uh -huh. That's why. Sanchating yeah. more value into it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We'll see where it goes. Well, it's good, like good luck on your journey, my man. Yeah. It's an interesting experience. Um, so we'll, we'll see where it goes. All right, man, you ready for me of the week? Uh, no, I am ready for the newest Bankless Nation member of the, ah, of the week. Who's that? Uh, this girl, Luna, apparently. Some guy in the Bankless Wells Fargo t-shirt uh, who also is donning a cool cat uh, picture over his face gave birth to the newest member of the Bankless Nation, Luna, who is also a cool cat and is also very cute. So congratulations to T-Shot for uh, growing the nation one member at a time. The, the Bankless Nation is growing one way or another, whether it's uh, new, new community members or we're just like uh, having Making kids. our own, yeah. Yeah, making our own little uh, <laughs> members of the Bankless Nation. Really cool. Congrats uh, to uh, to Luna and Cool Cat. Mm -hmm. uh, meme of the week. You ready for it now? Yep. All right, describe it for us, David. Okay, so this is a 50s style photograph of a 50s housewife and her two kids. And then there is Ethereum, the, the dude coming home after apparently a long day at work. And the mom is labeled Bitcoin maximalist. One of the kids is labeled ETH killers. And uh, the smaller of the kid is labeled whatever Cardano is. And each <laughs> one of them is having a knife waiting for Ethereum, the dad, to come home. I don't know why there's there's such an inclination of, of kids and the mom trying to kill the, the father. But, but the meme is that uh, Ethereum is like the, the super hardworking bringing home the bacon father and he's going to come home and get stabbed by his family. But the other takeaway I have, I, I generally think, is that like for some reason, all projects hate Ethereum. Bitcoiners don't like Ethereum. Cardano, they don't like Ethereum. Avalanche, they don't like Ethereum. Like all the ETH killers, they don't like Ethereum. Everyone doesn't like Ethereum. And there is something to that. If every single thing is like trying to like, oh yeah, we're going to be the next Ethereum or like Bitcoin Maxless saying, oh, Ethereum is like trash. Why does everyone hate Ethereum? Like, is that like some sort of signal in of itself? I think it is. I don't know. And it, what's interesting about this analogy is they're all in the same family, aren't they? <laughs> like we're all in the crypto family. Right. Why are you trying mm -hmm. to knife us? Right. I mean, it goes the other way too. Um, I I don't see as much from Ethereum maximalists, but like any maximalism, you're mm -hmm. just like 
stabbing within your family. Mm-hmm. Stop it, guys. Cut it out. Mm-hmm. Let's not mm-hmm. let's not kill Ethereum after a hard day of work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. I think that's it. I, we have an extra meme, but we'll save that for uh, risks and disclaimers. Guys, this has been your roll-up. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course, risks and disclaimers. ETH is risky. Crypto is risky. You could lose what you put in. Here's Anakin saying, crypto is mooning. Again, Padme saying, you're going to take profit, right? Just a reminder, got to take profit when crypto is mooning. Uh, I screwed that up, David. <laughs> did you? I don't think you did. I don't know. That was um, great. You're taking profit, right? I don't know. Let me let me start again there. Yeah. That was too much. Okay. Cut that. Also, also he has my CryptoPunk on. What? Yeah. He's, for some reason, he put on my CryptoPunk. I don't know did why. Did you do this intentionally? This is not me. This is not me. I have no, no, no idea. No, no, I mean, but like, did you pick this no. meme intentionally? Because no, this I, just noticed. I just noticed. I just noticed. Oh, that's funny. Okay. Um, all right, let's start again. All right, guys, risks and disclaimers for the week, of course. ETH is risky. Bitcoin is risky. So is all of crypto. You could lose what you put in. We are in sort of a bull market season, at least it's an NFT bull market. Gotta remember what Anakin and Padme say in this meme. Anakin's saying, crypto is mooning again. Padme says, you're going to take profit, right? Anakin looks at her. You're taking silence. profit, right? Just silence. silence Guys, remember <laughs> to take profit when the market is up. If you have life-changing money, you might actually want to change your life. No, just saying. Thanks so much. We're glad you're on the bankless journey. We'll see you later.